Approximately 12.38 p.m. on Sunday, April 1st, 1984, two bullets ripped through the chest of Marvin Penske Jr. Even though his life ended on that fateful day, Marvin, a superb vocalist and gifted songwriter, continues to be celebrated as one of the most influential artists of all time. So, we're back, rockabies. And um, the interesting thing is, is that Michelle is on a wonderful hiatus right now. And in her place, filling in for her big shoes, is another big personality. I'm here with the, I'm a, I'm, you know what, I'm going to leave the, okay, I'm going to start it with radio host. Okay. A uh, voiceover actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm missing one. But that's, <laughs> TV host, that's TV it. host is extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. That's well, extraordinary, and that's Miss Kitty Kaboom. Amen. And actually, guys, this is a treat for me <laughs> because she actually has a lot of experience, unlike myself. As do you, y'all don't. Unlike fall myself, for that. don't fall for that. She has a lot of experience. Whatever experience we she got claims she good. don't have, she makes up for in personality and clearly. Thorough content in like <laughs> we got yeah. something good. She's a beast. Well, that's in because you're here. Right. Oh, that's you're okay. Here. All right, we clearly love each other, right? <laughs> the humility of it all. <laughs> and today is actually really cool. You know what? There is synchronicity in everything. You and I were just talking about this mm-hmm. because this show is about a guy who actually, you know, loved. Miss Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. She was a queen. I'm going to be doing a show on the queen. You don't have a choice. I have to. You have to. Oh, my God. I read a book on her, and it was amazing. Who wrote it? Was it a biography? David Ritz, yeah. He's okay. done one on Marvin Gaye, who we're going to talk about today. Please tell me he's a black man. Is he a black man? Actually, no. But him and Marvin, you know what? He co-wrote Sexual Healing. Shut up. Yeah, him and Marvin, they like have history. I love and he did black- Janice's book. Okay, then I take it all back. My judgments, okay. my eye rolling. <laughs> uh, uh, my bad. Yeah, because when white folks actually live it, right. you can't take that from them. You right. know what I mean? Like, right. So yeah, he's cool. He he's he's he also wrote. It, it actually, he also wrote a book on Ray Charles. Mm. So he interviewed a lot of these people. Etta James, mm-hmm. who I can't wait to do a show on. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. I've already read a few things on Etta. So, I mean, Marvin Gaye mm. and you, this weird, I asked you to do the show. Yes. Little did I not put two and two together because your accent sounded so New Yorkish. Uh, New York. DC people would be so mad at me for that. I know. You told me about your there. I mean, what are you going to do? You live there. You pick up the accents. I'm a voiceover actor or Oftentimes, no matter where I go, I like it. I meet people and I walk away and I'm like, why do I sound like the person I was just talking to? That's kind of how it goes. Well, you have so you no have shade a, to DC ever. I, exactly. But you have such a 
uh, like your accent is so similar to a good pal of mine. And <laughs> I was like, it's so freaking hilarious. Plus, your sense of humor is on point. Aww. So it's like, that's why I couldn't help it. There I could go. not help it. So oh, we're all in it together now. Yay. So here we go. Mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye. Yes. And you both have so much in common because well, you're both. I don't know about that, but we're both from the district, yeah. Yeah, you have a voice like him, right? Do I? <laughs> what the hell? I'm like, for real? I got no talent I'm not hip to? Go ahead and give him a little something, something for mercy, mercy me. <laughs> <laughs> Joke. You do not. Right. Big disclaimer. JK, JK, JK. Oh, that's hilarious. So I guess we should just jump right into sure, it. Sure, I'm ready. Jump right are, into baby. it. Marvin Pence Gay Jr. was born in Washington, D.C., same as Kitty Kaboom. Amen. On April 2nd, 1939, on a Sunday, which is the same day of the week that he died. Mm-hmm. Um, 39 years later. Oh, actually, wait a minute, 44 years later, a day before his 45th birthday. Exactly. Which is weird. He was born on the Sunday, died on a Sunday. And being that he was such a church kid. You're right. That's, that's very crazy. impactful. That, that, that means something. Yes. Yo, we've already discovered between the two of us that we're those people. Right. I don't know if y'all have an advert, right. you know, an advert or what's the word? Adverse um, feeling about it, but it is what it is. We're going to call it what we feel. I just, I'm into that. Like, if there's uh, me a, too. I, I believe in signs. Yes. I believe in not like extra. And synchronicity. There you energy. go. Energy. Kismet. Yes. Right? Yes. Things Kismet. line up as they should. Yes. For for reasons that maybe we'll never know, and right. I don't have to, I don't always need like uh, we're not about to get into that discussion. I'm sorry, I right. digress so much. <laughs> so, Marvin Gaye was born on a Sunday, mm-hmm. April second, nineteen thirty nine, mm-hmm. to Marvin Senior. So he was a junior, and Alberta Gaye. Yes. Everyone called Alberta Babe. I like that name. <laughs> and Marvin was the oldest of four children by his parents. Marvin's father was a minister who was heavily involved in, like, a strict Pentecostal uh, sect called the House of God. House of God. Marvin's relationship with music, like Aretha, started at a young age. Mm-hmm. That's probably why they, they got along so well, probably. actually. He knew Aretha, and she knew him. But everybody that grows up in the church, don't you feel like yes. there's, like, a kindred we spirit we talked about there? Sam Cooke. Yes. We did our first show on Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke, well, actually, yes. Sam Cooke. We've talked about it in Rockabye. And the PKs. Yes, yes. The PKs are really like, yeah. there should be. Every, Whitney Houston. A dope reality show would be the PKs. Really? Preacher's Kids. They yes. literally have their yes. own. That's their right, thing. the PKs. Whitney, and not Whitney, but Aretha. Aretha. And Marvin. They're both you PKs. Just said, you, but you also said. Right. They um, both. Who'd you just say? I said Sam. Sam Cook. Sam Cook grew up in the church. Yeah, and, and he was what a about PK. My favorite of all time, Donnie Hathaway. Oh, I love Donnie Hathaway. How do you not love Donnie Hathaway? How's that possible? We're gonna talk. He's in. Okay. Actually, he's, he's in, in the Rita. Actually, he's in the Rita Franklin one. Is that right? Yeah, and he was in the Nina Simone one too because he redid uh, "To Be Young, Black and Gifted." Mm. That was a Nina Simone song. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, Donnie Hathaway, genius. Girl, 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 girl. Genius. Girl. So, you know, <laughs> Marvin, like Aretha, yes. was singing solos by the age of four at the church, mm-hmm. at the House of God. I can't even fathom. Four years old and I you singing know. solos? Oh, you killing that. As a child. Kind of <sighs> like, kind of like. 
um, Sam. Sam, though, was put in with his brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And so, and they had a little group when he was that young. Mm-hmm. So as a child, you know, Marvin, preteen, he learned and played the piano by ear. Kind of like Aretha did. Mm. She was actually playing for her dad right. at all the revivals exactly. and stuff. And he was just trying to make sure that she stayed non-secular right. until that hit hit. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, <laughs> well, we Sam, might have something here. I know Sam paved the way for all of Amen. them to go from church to secular. I mean, Black folk magic, yes, baby. He That's did. how we do it. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So come Friday night, don't make me, see, you already going to make me laugh and cry at the same time. So come Friday night at sundown, everything stopped for Marvin and the family. They were forced to cut off the outside world on Friday night. They weren't allowed to play, couldn't ride the bus. It was extreme. It was a little extreme. All they could do was pray and praise God. Marvin's dad instructed them on the exact interpretation of the Bible. He got a lot of nerve. We'll get to that part. Mm. They were drilled and tested on the... Oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. I, I don't want to digress. When we get into that, remind yeah. me. I, I have a, I, it bothers me so much that there's so much history behind people that do that. We're going to get to the hypocritical okay, part got it, got it, in got like got it, got two yeah, seconds. Got you. Literally two seconds. Roll this with it, baby. Next, you, you, you reading my mind. That thing said you, 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 you. That's my hip hop version. There you go. <laughs> they were drilled and tested on the Old and New Testaments by the dad, mm. Kitty. So, according to Marvin's mom, though, from an early age, Marvin Sr. Mm. never loved Marvin. And what's worse, he didn't want her to love Marvin. Father God. I can't fathom. Like, I'm so in love with my son. I can't imagine. A dude being abusive to you. I mean, his dad ain't... He's good. Whatever. We're in a good place. So, he's whatever (laughs) at 20. But I... You know, he definitely loves his son. Like yeah. that goes without question. No. He she adores said, his son. She said from an early age she felt like, you know, at gospel meetings, for example, when, oh my God, you know what I forgot to do? Hmm. I forgot to give the beginning quote. So I'm just gonna do it right now. Go ahead, babe. So and this encapsulates Marvin. Mm-hmm. And actually, you, it's not Marvin who said this, but it's actually somebody big deal. And Marvin actually Marvin's loved Marvin's kind him. of a big deal. Yeah. So this person, and this is about Marvin, mm. and I found this quote. I'm so sorry, viewers. Yeah, that's actually what I was waiting for, but it's yeah, your okay, show. Yeah, okay, go, so go. No, thank you. Baby, you could have hooked a sister up and reminded rock us. Rock out sister. with your cock out. I yeah. don't be knowing. Could have hooked a sister up. So the quote is... The beginning quote is, my music had roots which I dug up from my own childhood, musical roots buried in the darkest soil. Mm. And that was said by Ray Charles. And that's the person that probably should have said something yeah. that caliber. Yeah. Tell me that Jamie Fa- Jamie Foxx did not literally become he like was a incredible. Third, it, it, it wasn't even 10 minutes in. And you're like, force. Jamie who? I, all I see is this man. That was a tour de force. Tour de force. He did his fucking thing. Yeah, that was I amazing. Love, right? We're like sitting there remember, I mean, I remembering. Know. And then one of Marvin's favorite quotes is by a poet. Mm-hmm. And the quote is, what we call the beginning is often the end. Mm. And to make an end is to make a beginning. And the end is where we start from. And that was by T.S. Eliot. That wow. was one of his favorite quotes. Because it stands true. Mm-hmm. If it's all cyclical... 
Yes, especially what we're talking about his dad. Yeah. So we about to, yep, here we go. We're about to get into it. At gospel meetings, Marvin said when his singing received more praise than his father's sermon, he said his father would look at him as if he'd done something very bad. Mm. You know, he mentally and physically abused Marvin. I don't understand how we get married to men that... From an early age. Exactly. So, you know, it's funny. Marvin said that it wasn't simply that his father beat him, even though that was bad enough. Of course. But when he'd tell Marvin that he was going to get a whooping, he would make Marvin wait. Like, it was like, and he would, like, make him take off all his clothes and be naked in the room. And then, so he would go past the door, and you'd hear the belt buckle. So it was like the anticipation building up. That's mental abuse right there. You know, and he'd make the belt buckle just be loud enough so that Marvin could hear it. And the only way to get the beating over with is Marvin would just antagonize him and provoke him to just get the beating over with. And by the time Marvin was 12, there wasn't an inch of his body that hadn't been bruised or beaten. And his mom said that when she tried to intervene to stop him from even beating him or his brothers and sisters, he would go in and give them an even worse whipping. Y'all don't hear me because there's not too much to say. I just told you I'm in love with my son. I don't know what this kind of... You would just beat ass. I know I already know I you. I mean, if Khalil did something that required me to beat ass, no, then... you would beat the dude's ass. Oh, I would even. No, I would bodily harm him. Let's <laughs> be clear. And there's no beating anybody. He's a man, so I can't beat him. So I would do what I could do to make sure that he was maimed. Not, not even, uh, not even Khalil. I'm talking about any dude. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would maim them. They're a man, yeah. right? Like I yeah. can't do. But so you much could be about. fine. There are lots of women. Like, didn't you see the burning bed? I did. Exactly. So she didn't. Even need to. Uh, uh, she need. Uh, yeah, but she went to jail. I don't want to go to jail. I just. I can't. think you would get off if somebody was abusing your child. Maybe. Maybe. I just can't even fathom what this must. This life. Anyway, what it must he, look like, and this sicko, was back in the clearly, day, right? So yeah, he's a sicko. Back when, in the day, so she opportunities are not afforded right. you, and, and she and, probably didn't feel like she could. I mean, due to his father's abuse, Marvin and his siblings begin wetting the bed. Right. So, of course, yes. the cyclical thing is what? And his dad will beat, him, beat him for that. Him for beat, right. I made you wet the bed because you have such anxiety mm-hmm. about me beating you. And now I'm going to beat you. But now that you've done this act, right. <laughs> I'm going to beat you even more. Yes. Isn't that horrible? Sure. I mean, Janice in her book would say that Marvin was sexually abused by a relative as a child. Right. Um, Added to the mix. Isn't that sad? On top of all that, talk about hypocritical, mm-hmm. Marvin Sr. was an effeminate man who dressed in women's clothes, like openly go outside. And his mom, Alberta, said that he liked to wear her panties, shoes, gowns, and nylon Hose around the neighborhood. Around the neighborhood. So not even like this is a little secret between us and oh, the no. house. No. And then not even like I'm going to go across town so nobody will be able to identify me. You're right. going to do this right where I have to come outside and deal with people and talk to people. This ain't 2018. So on top of that, Marvin would be bullied by that by on the outside of the house. Of course. Because the neighborhood would bully him by the older kids. Yeah, and they would call him <sighs> and his father... A quote unquote a sissy. The author of Marvin's bios asked 
his mom, if his dad was gay, mm. he had asked him that just when they were all alive and everything. And she said that she wasn't certain about mom, Marvin's dad being gay, but she did say that five of his siblings were homosexual. Five? Yeah, how his, many? That's a good question. Damn. I don't know how many people Marvin Gaye's dad, oh, shoot, that would have been nice to know. Five Thank you. children? Five of his siblings. So him included made six? Made, yes. So let's say, yes. hypothetically speaking, you have ten children. Six of them turn out to be gay? That's right. interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that probably would go with the thought process of people that don't believe that this is an innate quality. You know and I mean? probably the oh, oppression of him. being gay, so he became gay. Right, or, right, right. That's not how it works, people, and but whatever. do you think it might have played into, now I'm just maybe going out on a limb, and I'm not making excuses for Marvin Gaye's dad beating him up mm-hmm. and being so abusive beyond belief. Do you think that the abuse was about the oppression of having to not be gay? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I think that it had a lot to do with it, quite honestly. Not I, being authentic. Yes. I'm not gay, but I... God, this sounds so stupid. I have so many gay friends. But I mean, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. That's the truth. Right. I have a plethora of You've gay got to friends. Be My authentic. little brother is gay. So I say all that to say that I love the LGBT community. Well, they are the bomb. Um, but yeah, with that being said, if you're if you're minimizing and suppressing your own shit that right. you know is not acceptable as soon right. as you walk out the door. Right. Not that it's acceptable in your house, but you're the man in the house, so you make it acceptable to some degree. I'm saying, like, if you decide that you want to roll out and this is who you want to be, mm-hmm. I think there's a great, great deal of... Um, what do you call it? Um, passing blame. Like, right. I'm going to associate all the bad stuff and all the questions and all the LGBTQ, whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. questions and finger pointing at you because that's much easier to do than it is to accept, and, actually acknowledge it myself. Right. And in his case, not only am I going to point the finger at you, I'm going to take my, take it all on you, the fury of it all. It's horrible. Yeah, because I'm going through. I don't want to be this person that God has made. I'm gay. I didn't know I was gay. Right. Now I don't know what to do with it, and I'm in a time in my in our lives where here in this country this is not acceptable. I don't know. Right. Back in the forties and the fifties, completely unacceptable. Because you know, Liberace sued somebody back in the fifties for saying he was gay, Mm -hmm. and he won, even though it's now a joke. Right. Uh, but that's how much the your name is. Right, right. That's how important it truly was. I mean, right. think about it. We got, and he was in the church. We got one of the biggest, biggest shows on television, I Love Lucy, mm-hmm. showing a man and woman monogamously, heterosexually married and together, but they're still sleeping in twin beds in the same bedroom. I mean, think about it. How the, the hell did little Ricky even come about? Well, but see, now you're going way back to like the 50s and they couldn't show a man and a woman in the bed together. That means that they weren't having sex, kitty. Then where the baby come from, baby? Immaculate conception. <laughs> Yes, Miss Melissa, you are absolutely right. I'm so glad you recognize what boom, it is. That's boom. boom. Answer. Done. Thank you. Check kaboom. that one off. Kitty kaboom. <laughs> As a teen, Marvin's father best. left the church. 
So he left the church because right. they wouldn't make him chief apostle. Right. He, he didn't, didn't need to be. Title. He needed that title. He didn't need to have that title, he honestly. He didn't even need beating, to be in the Beating church. up on the kids. You, you don't know. need it. You already He know. began drinking heavily. And he became chronically unemployed, which, add, which added, added to Marvin's the frustration and anger, to Marvin's frustration and anger with his dad, because the dad was, you know, shiftless. Exactly. She said shiftless. He was. He was shiftless. <laughs> and so Marvin, who was known for being sh- see, you need some more wine for that, right? It's going to get good. <laughs> it's already and good, I got Mama. And I got my beer. I normally have my margarita, but I got my beer today. Awesome. Um, Marvin, who was known for being shy, who's very shy, mm-hmm. uh, began to sing seriously in junior high. He sang in the hallways between classes, in the lunchroom, in the playgrounds, on the bus home. He'd skip school with his friends uh, all the time just to hang out and sing. His home life became unstable because his dad, you know, shiftless, Mm. would often beat him up and kick him out of the house all at the same time. So he had to couch surf from a young age. Right. You know, his ever-devoted mom would send him money through friends because Aww. she loved him. Yeah, of she she, did. she adored him. It's her baby. She adored him. Um, they had a very. T- I want to say they had a very tight relationship from the very beginning. So, you know, harmony groups such as the Drifters and the Orioles and the Capris would have would have had an enormous impact on Marvin. He loved um, he loved harmony groups, you know. Mm-hmm. And it kind of fueled his, like, lifelong penchant for, like, harmonies. And mm-hmm. he envisioned himself, though. It's funny how we've talked about this in a lot of the rockabies where people have other, um, like, what they truly want to be in life. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he wanted to be envisioned himself as the black Frank Sinatra. He loved Right? He, Frank he Sinatra. Did. He did. He loved his phrasing. Right. He that dug. Beat. Yeah. He, people don't know this, but he also dug Dean Martin. And he loved Perry Como. He loved right. their relaxed presentation. And Perry, he loved Perry's great attitude, which is why he sported like those early in his career when he was at Motown, mm-hmm. he sported Perry Como sweaters during his early years there nice. in the 1960s. People don't know that was inspired by Perry Como. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket, never let it fade away. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket, save it for a rainy day. But the biggest singer who made the biggest impression on him, upon him, mm-hmm. was Billie Holiday. He so would, good to hear. Marvin so would say, her pain is what got to me. Billie turned herself inside Inside out, all in the name of love. Amen. She was deeper than sex, Marvin said. The hurt she felt was the hurt of all humanity. And great artists suffer for the people, like Marvin, too. She phrased, he said, she phrased like a jazz horn. And that intrigued him. He said, it intrigued me. Somewhere in the 50s, I also got hooked on Miles Davis. He said, especially the way he played ballads throughout his through his mute he his it never entered my mind killed me marvin would say he said miles cried like a singer and billy sang like an instrumentalist and everything they both did was wrapped in the blues Mm. that's what marvin said you know what's interesting too people that really do understand and have an affinity and a respect for um 
music and mm. its history and the genre. They have an ear. They oh, and have an ear that are successful because of that reason. Nine times out of ten, they're able to say. They're able to say that good music is good music is good music. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, if you're they know right. You're a folk singer, but you don't. You only listen to folk music or like some hill. I, I, no shade. Like I'm not coming for nobody. I just don't know what it's called. Like that hillbilly. Like maybe that's your thing. Yeah. But so because that's your thing, you're unable to see that good music is good music. And I will honestly say across the board. Just like he's able to see right. that Frank Sinatra is the shit and that he deserves all the acting. Perry Como. Perry Como? Like, that's yeah. so random. He loved Perry Como. That's so random. He wanted to sing like those guys. And that's my point. Being able to recognize right. greatness. It's for like, what like it in is. Dolly Parton. She's country, but Dolly Parton Dolly is wrote one of Whitney's greatest hits. Exactly. She's a, an she's excellent a, songwriter. She's a songwriter, period. And she's amazing. Jolene is still Girl, one of my favorite songs. Jolene. And I got a friend named Jolie. Every time I call her, you already know oh, I hit her with that, that song, every Jolie. time. Dolly Parton, people know Dolly Parton. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. I mean, he killed himself. But clearly that yeah. one. That's Johnny Cash artists. didn't kill himself. Not intentionally. I mean, he just got... older man. Yeah, he just got a little... Well, you know what What killed Johnny Cash? Johnny Cash, I think what made Johnny Cash die? Love. Because he was in love with June. Mm. So when June... He only died six months later after June Carter That broken Cash. heart shit is real. Yeah. And they been married like what almost 50 years damn so if you don't have your mate how long you think you're gonna last oh my god and june it went through everything with johnny cash of course that was that's a love story but anyway but anyhow marvin quit school after the 11th grade and in a moment of shame and guilt for quitting school he enlisted in the air force Mm -hmm. it was a disaster because he couldn't adjust because marvin he always rebelled against authority because of his dad. You know what I mean? So if you start acting like his dad and trying to bark orders, I'm sure he was like, deuces. Exactly. Bye, I'm bye Felicia. You. Bye, 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 Felicia. So back in D.C., back in your hometown. Hey. In 1957, 18. My mama was only seven years old. Woo, she's young. 18-year-old <laughs> Marvin was forced to return home from the Air Force of failure. Mm. And he crashed on friends' couches. He he avoided his dad because he knew his dad would talk like shit. Like a plague. Yeah, why would, would you want to be around? He, he knew he was like gonna that. talk shit. I read. You know, he joined a group called the Marquis. Right. And they played anywhere they could play, such as school assemblies. And nothing happened until they met Bo Diddley. People don't know this. Aptly nicknamed the originator. Bo Diddley was one of the most influential guitarists to ever grace a stage. Born in Macomb, Mississippi in 1928, Bo as a child moved with his sharecropping family to Chicago. He studied violin and by the age of 15, Bo was building his own violins as well as his first rectangular guitar. For several years, he performed on street corners and nightclubs before being signed to Chess Records in 1955. Armed with his rectangular guitar and his famous Bo Diddley beats, Bo would go on to have a string of hit songs such as Who Do You Love and I'm a Man. Bo's style of guitar playing and talented songwriting reshaped and influenced rock and roll to what it is today as well as influencing many of today's musical giants such as the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Clash, and Bruce Springsteen. 
Besides making a lasting impact on rock and roll, Bo was ahead of his time by bucking tradition and hiring female lead guitarist in his band throughout his 60-year career. Bo died at the age of 79 in 2008. Mm, Bo Diddley took Marvin Gaye and the Marquis How about that? I mean, under his wing. That's beautiful. You know. I didn't know. I yeah. definitely was not aware. Bo, it, but somebody recommended them to uh, Bo, mm-hmm. and he took them under his wing, and they used to go down to Bo's basement and jam like crazy. Mm. Marvin loved Bo his whole life, and he's always spoke very highly of Bo. But Bo, Bo Diddley produced their first record when he took the Marquis to New York where they cut their one and only single called Wyatt Earp and Hey Little Schoolgirl. The single failed to make a mark, but, uh, you know, Bo had the Marquis rocking, but the Marquis, as time would prove, would make their mark crooning, mm-hmm. which is what we know Marvin Gaye loves to do. Right. You know, ballads are his exactly. go-to. That is his thing, because of Perry Como and Frank Sinatra. Exactly. And Marvin was broke. He found work first as a stock boy. People don't know. He had, like, normal jobs. He was a stock boy, mm-hmm. then a dishwasher, and uh, the lunch counter dishwashing job was especially demeaning mm-hmm. because the the eating area was for whites only at the time and Marvin had to eat his lunch outside on a bus bench. How many stories have we heard like that, oh right? Oh my God, I know. Mm. By 1958, Marvin and the Marquis were itching for a change and in November 1958, Harvey Fuqua mm. had fronted a group called the Moonglows and they were touring with Bo Diddley in, uh, in Canada and Chester Simmons, who was a, used to be a part of the Marquis, mm-hmm. left the Marquis to be a driver for Bo Diddley. Bo Diddley mentioned the Marquis when Harvey said he's looking for some new moon glows. He said, I need some new moon glows. Right. He was having problems with the members of the band. So Harvey fired the members of his band and added the Marquis as the new members of the band. And in early 1959, 19-year-old Marvin left home and headed to Chicago with the newly formed, newly named Harvey and the Moonglows. Now, I want to say, Harvey Fuqua became Marvin's lifelong mentor and friend for the rest of his life. But people don't know, Harvey Fuqua is the uncle to Antoine Fuqua, who is the big-time director. The huge director out here in Cali. Equalizer, all the equalizers. Exactly. Those, those commercials. Those yes, you know, he's done a lot of he's films for... He's done a for, lot of things. Uh, a, lot, a ton of things. He's married to Leela Rashawn. That's right! Yeah, and... Harvey, you know, let's see. I think he's done Equalizer 1 and 2. He's done a lot of films by Denzel. Mm -hmm. You know, Antoine Fuqua, people should look him up, but his uncle is Harvey Fuqua. Mm -hmm. So Marvin would say that Harvey was a perfectionist. And this is what I've seen in a lot of artists for rockabies is that there's always someone there to teach them the ropes. And Harvey really did. He brought out the perfectionist in and Marvin, too. Mm-hmm. He didn't tolerate sloppy singing. Exactly. He taught them about phrasing, how to use their mouth muscles to get certain sounds, mm-hmm. which Martin would use those vocal techniques for the rest of his life, what Harvey Fuqua uh, taught him. Right. So the group lived in apartments owned by the Chess Brothers. 
And the Chess Brothers had Chess Records, mm-hmm. which had like Muddy Waters and all of those. And the and like Edith the Cadillac Jane. Records situation. Yes. Okay. That's them. Okay. The Chess Brothers. That's what's up. That's them. Etta James, all of them. Yeah. I was about to say that sounds vaguely familiar. Okay. Yes, okay. yes. And it's the same man, yeah. They own that record label, Chess Records, for nice. which the room moon glows. But shortly thereafter, Fuqua people don't notice, but Harvey Fuqua rejected David Ruffin. As a moonglow. Really? The same Ruffin who would lead the Temptations through the phenomenal I mean, period of Motown, the Temptations, David Ruffin. But how many stories have you heard where that's the case, that right? crazy? Like, I mean, Don't give it. up, Jay-Z. Kids. Right, exactly. We went everywhere. Nobody said yes. Everybody said no. Blah, blah, blah. We got mm-hmm. our coin up. We had that bag. We went in Jay-Z was turned down? Shit. A thousand times over before they started Rockefeller. That's why they started Rockefeller. Really? I didn't know. I didn't know you didn't know. Let the children know. <laughs> yeah, no, it start. I mean, just like anybody else, right? You're in this business. Mm-hmm. You believe in yourself and your craft. And so you go after the heads of those powers that be right. in an attempt to secure something so that you can... And everybody turns you down. Everybody turns you down. So wow. what do you do? You say, fuck it, I'm not going to do this anymore. Or you say, you know what? Let's just do our own thing. Let's I believe in own, myself. I believe in myself. They had that money from the from the streets, mm-hmm. and they bankrolled that into a legitimate business, and they became Rockefeller. And wow. obviously they... they yeah, because you know, he said he was, was a drug them. dealer or whatever. Uh, not even whatever. Yeah, he, okay, he was, you're right. He you're right. He did. For he a did. Minute, he did. For a minute. So was Notorious B.I.G.? Yeah, well, most of them. I mean, so was Pac. Yeah. Not the same level. Not no, the same. you're right. He was you're more right. of a poet. He was much more. Yeah, you know, but especially to, before he got with, um, what's the group that I love? Oh, um, um, with the. My, um, All around the, the world, world being stung. <laughs> <laughs> that group. That group, right. How dare I them? forget? What is their name? Dang, I was just listening to the song today. It's Humpty. Yes, the Humpty Dance, them. The Pac was a dancer in that group. Not just that. He was also one of the guys that carried the crates. Like, he paid his dues. Yes, he did. A lot of these people pay their dues. And they let you know when they came up, this is how I want to get down. So, no, he wasn't like a huge drug dealer. You know who else I heard? Easy. Well, Easy E, right? Mm -hmm. That was a great story. Did you watch that? Yeah. Easy E. I would love to do a show on Easy E. I think that he was like the American dream, like in a big way. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so the Moon Glows who sang harmony on such hits as Chuck Berry, because he was a part of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Chess Brothers back in the USA. So you hear Marvin Gaye and the Moon Glows singing background on Back in the USA. <laughs> Marvin only sang lead on only one song by the Moon Glows at that time called Mama Lucci. Mm. I didn't know that. None of their tunes were hits. And the best that Fuqua could do was book a final run around the Chitlin Circuit for the very first time mm-hmm. that Marvin toured. And they toured down south with Big Joe Turner and Etta James. In fact, Etta was dating Harvey Fuqua at that point. And, they, and Marvin uh, and his group slept in a station wagon or on the ground. You know, they couldn't even afford rooms. Right. And they couldn't get rooms anyway because they were black. So they wouldn't let them get rooms. The crowds were small, and Harvey paid them practically nothing. But, you know, he didn't care. And it was on this tour that Marvin walked over to a window. And this is what his, this is what his, uh, the moon glows, the other moon glows said that they saw. He walked over to a window, he looked out the window, and he announced in a calm manner, I'm going to be a big star one day. Hmm. 
And another member of the group said, what about us? And he just smiled. Oh, I he didn't say right. nothing. Like, I, I He's like, I said, I said, I. <laughs> <laughs> and he fell in love with a prostitute during this time right. that was on tour with them. I guess she was like a dancer. Her name mm-hmm. was Tassel Tony. Right. Who was so a wait, dancer. So wait, was she a prostitute or was she a dancer? She was a dancer on the show, but she was, um, she was a... Uh, a loose goose? Yeah, she was a loose goose. Okay. You know. And, uh, you know, after this... Oh, he started smoking marijuana around this time, too. Okay. People kill me with that. I'm sorry. I have a whole <laughs> different take on cannabis, so don't get me started. Hey, it's legal. It's a fucking plant, for God's sake. But it's of the earth. It. That's my point. It's mm-hmm. a plant. It's not a drug. Are you saying the, that good or bad? Okay, good, very, right? Very, 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 very good. good. Yes. Okay. Don't get twisted. At the end of the day, just do your research. If that's what you want to get down with, then so be it. But just don't. Do your research. Just do your research. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. It's all about the research. As it you really tell, is. As you just can tell from these up. 30 pages. I ain't mad at you, though. I love how <laughs> thorough you are. I think it's dope as fuck. I got to. I knew you were coming, so I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. After this, Harvey left the Moonglows, mm-hmm. and he started dating Gwen Gordy. Now, what's the sister? She, the sister Gordy is the sister of Gary Gordy, baby. Boom, and he started going up to Detroit to see her. Mm-hmm. He took Marvin with him because they, they were best friends. Mm-hmm. Harvey married Gwen mm-hmm. and started a record label with her. Soon, that label was absorbed into. Oh damn! I did. What's that. Barry Gordy's? What's Barry Gordy's label? Oh, Motown, baby. There you go. Already in the early 1960s, and Harvey became the head of AR at Motown. Right. Marvin was right there with him. Right. And Marvin started dating Anna Gordy, mm-hmm. uh, Barry's other sister. He was 20 years old, and she was, she was 37. 37. I'm sorry. He was gorgeous. He was gorgeous. So I'm not <laughs> mad at her, but he was way too, way too young. You think so? 20 years old. You know what's funny? I just, what do you know at 20 years J-Lo old? j was just on camera. When he, James Corden asked her how low she would go. Like basically how young would you right. be willing? He right. was like 18. She's like, eh, not 18. I mean, he was like, okay, 21. She's like, ah. I'm mad at 21. When you look like J-Lo and you put your blood, sweat, and tears into your shit your entire life, and you have a demeanor like Kitty Kaboom, so you cool as a fuck. Right, right. You know what I mean? You just and have to go with the... And Don't looks. even try it. J-Lo and is gorgeous. Looks. Let's be clear. You are too. Aw. See, you are we love too. each other. I told yes. you. Yes. The point is that with all that she has going with her, even if yeah. she was just a regular Douglas Schmegler broad, right. I think that she should attract a 21-year-old. If you're okay with I mean, my son is 20, so I wouldn't be comfortable with that. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to preface it with that. Because that's all I think about. Let Ew. me just say this. Let me just say this. All right, this is my personal opinion. And I respect Look, that. I'm not mad at J-Lo for going out with a 20, 20 year old. She is beautiful. Mm-hmm. She is gorgeous. Body but to yaddy. marry. As in forever and ever. If that's what you to feel marry, like. To feel like it's different. Yeah. Because they're too fucking young. Mm. You're too young at 20. What the hell do you know at 20? You don't know anything. Exactly. I mean, I talk to my son and I'm just like, are you serious? Yes, but like if you, that's what you're attracted to for a Everybody's fling, attracted right. to a 20, a fine 20. And Marvin Gaye was gorgeous. He was gorgeous. Right. He was so beautiful <laughs> that a lot of the girls like, 
Martha Reeves, Diana Ross, they all loved Marvin. Oh, yes. They thought he was gorgeous. Wait, they right. walked in the they worked in the office, by the way. I was about to say, tell yeah. me that cab They were secretary. Yeah, just to be close to the studio like Marvin. They got in, Marvin got in by telling them that he was a drummer. Got into Motown by saying, I'm a drummer, even though he really wasn't. And he played session drums for all the early acts on Motown. And such as Martha and the Vandellas Dancing in the Streets, which he co-wrote. Mm-hmm. He's a writer on that. Stevie Wonder's Fingertips Part 2. He's the drummer on that. People can listen to Marvin Gaye's drumming on that. How about that? that? Because he claimed that he was a drummer, but he actually had no idea how to play the drums. Right. Initially. Initially, and then he learned, and he really wanted to get next to Smokey Robinson, who he he thought he was the greatest songwriter. Yes. Yeah, and he he became a drummer for the Miracles and got paid maybe $5 a session Mm -hmm. on all the early Miracle stuff. Marvin Gaye is on there, people. He traveled with them on the road. He, as a writer, he, Smokey taught him a lot about being a lyricist than anything else. Mm-hmm. Smokey really did well by Marvin Gaye. Yeah. You know? And that's respectable. It's nice yeah. to know that they weren't shitting on each other. Cause it exactly. Gets that's so true. easy to do. That's true. You that know what I mean? so true. Right? Like, there's yeah. only enough money for me. I will never invite you in. And, like, you know, people think that way nowadays. And that's, that's not the way That's why I love that they set the standard a different way. It's not the way to think. No shit. The closer you hold everything into your heart, little do you realize you're clearly... You're clearly... Uh, nobody can get to you because you're holding it so close thinking you're holding it in when in fact right. you're holding it hostage and the great things that are right. supposed to come to you, you would right. never know. Right. That's anyway. true. Anyway. Oh, I crazy. love it. I love it. I love it. And as I said earlier, they all had crushes on him, you know, but he stayed away from the girls because he had a fear of losing Anna and partly because at this point, he still saw himself as a one-woman man. Mm-hmm. And he, he was young. He was a baby. Exactly. He married Anna in 1963. He was about, almost about 24 years old and became Barry Gordy's brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, his first request to Anna was a big one because he didn't know whether he'd get a second chance or not. Mm-hmm. And listen to this youngins out there. He went for broke, and he and he wanted to do a jazz pop album. I know. So Anna convinced Barry Gordy to let him do it. And on June 1961, he released his debut album, Mm -hmm. The Soulful Mutes of Marvin Gaye. And at this point, Gaye officially added the E to his name because his original name was just Mm G-A-Y. And he added the E to his name in an effort to distance himself from his his from shiftless dad. Right. You know, and Marvin said, I was aware that Sam Cooke had done exactly the same, which is true. Sam Cooke added the E when he went to secular music and he if it you know if it worked for Sam he said why wouldn't it work for me <laughs> so the album didn't sell of course mm. see people don't realize how people have to pay their freaking dues they don't get it 10 years later i mean seriously yeah over the next 4 years mm-hmm. he'd record half a dozen albums aimed at albums not even like singles albums full on albums wow that's a lot of songs. That's a lot of songs. And it was aimed at the white pop market. Yeah. 
Um, and they just didn't sell. He had a few hits like Pride and Joy, which he wrote for Anna and Stubborn Kind of Fellow. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the mid-60s, Marvin averaged two albums a year. You know, mm-hmm. and people are gonna realize this about Aretha Franklin too. She paid heavy years. She wasn't a huge hit mm-hmm. before Respect, but anyway, you know, although he enjoyed having you know a few little hits, um, so he wait he cut nearly thirty songs every twelve months, Kitty. I know that's, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's a lot. That's a lot, especially when you compare it to today and how people make like mixtapes. Right. You know what I mean? They right. crank those out. That's mm-hmm. a huge kind of work ethic that you have to respect. Right. That's very true. That's very true. And although he enjoyed, you know, having a few hits, he suffered from stage fright really bad, which plagued him throughout his career. For instance, the owner of the Apollo, Bobby uh, Schiffman, went to the airport to pick up Marvin for a sold-out weekend engagement at the Apollo. Mm-hmm. And Gay was it on the plane. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what that feels like. Marvin finally called him and is like, yeah, yeah, Bobby, I couldn't do it. I'm scared. Yeah, I came to New York, got off the plane and was so scared I got on another plane and went back to New but how, York. But what are you afraid of exactly? Because if you was on two, not one, but two planes, flying was not the issue. Stage Performing. Fright. Wow. Stage flight. That's debilitating. He said, I can't help it, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. The dates were canceled. You know, Barbara Streisand suffered from that. Suffered. She might still really? do. Really? Mm-hmm. Stage fright. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's, yep. Okay. So Marvin and Anna adopted a child in 1966. The adoption of the child didn't help their marriage. And as we know, it was trouble from the start. Why? Because you're almost 40 marrying a 20-year-old. Pretty much. They had epic fights at home and in public places like nightclubs. Because mm-hmm. she married a child. Exactly. Immature. And then you had the expectation that this child was going to somehow be, be immature or adult. Yep. Right. And he's gorgeous and he got women throwing themselves at him. Exactly. That must be difficult right. for her especially. So some sources of she contention. For she definitely had a choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Some sources of contention were... Marvin felt his success didn't didn't seem real. He didn't deserve it. He felt like Barry and her puppet. Mm. I can understand that. He hated show business. Mm. He would say that show business is shit. The pressures and the hypocrisy, the endless hustle and the ass kissing. He said, that's not me. Neither is performing. He yearned to be an artist. Mm-hmm. And he said that artists... Well, how do you... How do you uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut yeah. you off, but I agreed with everything until he said um, performance. As a singer, how do you usurp performing? If that's not part of your craft, do you want to just sing in your living room and have people pay you? Like, I'm confused. According to Marvin... Oh, yeah, that's not cool. Yes. That's a little Marvin said that... Artists work in the privacy of their own imagination. So he wanted to be a recording artist. Mm. Oh, I see, I see, I see. But you didn't want to actually go out and perform for the people. He didn't, he, he, no. That's not going to work, baby. Yeah. He said he felt tied to the fortunes of his brother-in-law, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? According to Gay, no Motown artist with the possible exception of Smokey mm-hmm. emerged from the 60s with real wealth. He's, and also, Anna was, around this time, he started doing his first duet album in 1966 mm-hmm. with Kim Weston. And Anna was jealous of her. Name. Yeah, Kim Weston. He did his first duet album with her. Um, and Anna was really jealous of Kim. Um, and around this time, 
he started doing cocaine. Mm, that'll do it. Yep. Quincy Jones once said, the most deadly thing about cocaine is that it separates you from your soul. Mm. But it loosened Marvin up, and he did not deny himself the pleasure of cocaine mm, from that him. point. Thank God it's not my thing. Exactly, mine either. He started enjoying it. First of all, I wouldn't be good on cocaine. Right. My heart is already, but I'm already too hyped up as it is. <laughs> You too. We're what? already right. We are up. so hyped. We don't, don't, I don't need, need no hype. We don't hype need a hype man. We don't need a hype man and coke. <laughs> okay. So true. We don't need a hype man. And that's man. probably why I gravitate toward the, the plant cannabis. Because right. if it don't do nothing else, it mm. chills you the fuck out. Yes. Yeah, Relax. Exactly. Yeah. I will always gravitate toward that kind right. of thinking. That kind of yeah. I'm with you. I think that's why a lot of people love it. So. Gay started enjoying, like, all the drugs, all the highs, all the women he wanted around this time. In fact, there was infidelity on both sides. So Anna was getting hers, too. Right. So when author David Ritz asked Marvin what did he do when he found out about Anna and her lover, Marvin Mm -hmm. replied, nothing really. I don't even remember, but certainly there was some enjoyment in finding them. Notice this. This is key. He said, it was definitely an adventure. I suppose I've always been obsessed with the notion of another man making love to my woman. In my fantasy, that man is always more powerful than me. He alone can satisfy her while I I can only watch. This is going to come back to haunt him during the Janice days. Mm-hmm. And now let's just exactly. let's just remember that and keep hold on to that for the record, kids. Right. So by the late 1960s, Marvin stopped perming his hair, kind of like Sam Cooke did. Sam Cooke stopped perming his hair in the 50s because mm-hmm. he's like, I love the natural. That's I'm right. going to be authentic. That's right. And that's what Marvin came into his own natural look, mm-hmm. you know, and the most successful duet partner of his life. And the most heartbreaking part of his life was to happen right now was Tammy Terrell. Mm-hmm. Marvin described her as fun, funny, and totally unpredictable. He loved Tammy. Mm-hmm. And Tammy loved him. He, she did. People know those songs. You can see, right. They, Ain't no mountain high relate. enough. Valerie Simpson and Nick Ashford. Right. Ashford and Simpson wrote Ain't No Mountain High Enough. And a lot of these huge hits that Marvin Gaye had with... Uh, uh, Tammy Terrell. So props up to Valerie Simpson. Nick Ashford has moved, has went on. He's dead. Mm-hmm. Her husband, Nick Ashford. But people don't know this. Ashford and Simpson were big, huge songwriters at Motown. And so I, I always knew that. I think that might have come from me being a Washingtonian and them being from. I always got the impression they were from the area. I could be wrong. Right, so, right. They're know. probably from the East Coast somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. But I always enjoyed knowing that they kind of created the precedence. You know they what I mean? Sure they sure did. Prior to them, they weren't privy to until yeah. they decided to step out there and be like, check this out. This is how we doing it. They then, wrote those all those huge hits. Exactly. See, you get so excited. You hit the microphone. <laughs> Why you got to abuse the microphone? My Why you got to abuse the microphone? For, no, I'm just playing with you. Yeah, but no, Valerie but Simpson important. sat next to... She sat next to Whoopi Goldberg at Aretha Franklin's funeral. So that's for all the Is kids. That right? Go look at her. That woman's a genius. Oh yeah, without genius. Question. So, and that's gonna come back right now to haunt as well. But anyway, uh, Tammy's style perfectly suited Martin's style. I mean, mm-hmm. if you hear them together, there's like silk. Cause baby, there ain't no mountain high enough. 
Yeah, it's just it was so perfect. They do have an amazing. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, they're singing, you know, their emotions were heartfelt. And when the, Marvin said, when the music ended, we kissed each other on the cheek and said goodbye. They were never romantically. But they played um, that so well. Right. Though. You know what right. I mean? Not not everybody's able to do that. That's true. You know what I mean? It is That's very true. easy to For make a the duet. Funk, pretend. Yeah. But then, you know, you get into the singing part of it. Oh, you're singing into each other's eyes and it's this whole thing. And then fast forward to an actual, like, an interview or a conversation with the two of you. And you're right. so obvious that you're disjointed. Right. Yeah. So right. that can't be forced. It's funny because, yeah, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, that was their initial 1967 hit right. written by... Valerie Simpson and Nick Ashford, mm-hmm. and beginning in 1967, and for two years to follow, the duo released Tammy Terrell and Marvin Gaye released three albums, and nine of their songs raced up the charts. During a performance, though, in the summer of 1967 at Hampton Sydney College, Tammy collapsed in Marvin's arms, and Marvin carried her off stage. Tammy was 22 years old. Mm. She had a brain tumor. And a baby. Yep. Some think that the tumor had been caused by the abuse that she had suffered while in relationships with, you know, various people like David Ruffin and James Brown. She had been in relationships. She used to be a background singer for a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. But either way, yeah. for the next three years, she had numerous operations. And Tammy Terrell died in March of 1970, wow. a month shy of her 25th birthday. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Oh. I don't even know what that feels like. Oh. Marvin was, is that my dog that barked? Yes. Chico, be nice, Chico. <laughs> Marvin was devastated and he felt that a piece of him died with her that day. Well, I can imagine that. Yeah. Like a kindred spirit. Yeah. The funeral service was at night in New Jersey, Cherry Hills, New Jersey. And people remember Marvin talking about Tammy as though she was still alive. He never got over her death. Mm. Never. And the songs that they recorded before her illness continued to ride a crest of national popularity. Their first album, United, was released in 67. The second, You're All I Need, a year later. And the last album, Easy, in 1969. But what people don't know, Kitty is that Tammy didn't do most of the songs, most of the songs on that last album with Marvin. Really? You want to hear something? This is what Marvin was saying. Mm-hmm. He said she wasn't able to sing. Mm. So Valerie Simpson. Ooh, baby. Sang some of the songs instead of Tammy. That's what Marvin said. Uh. He said he first refused to go along with the plan mm-hmm. because he thought of it uh, as another money-making scheme on Barry Gordy's part. Right. And it was wrong. He thought it was wrong to deceive the public like that. Mm-hmm. But then Motown convinced him that it'd be a way for Tammy's family to have additional income. So Valerie sung, and Valerie had always sung. Simpson, baby, yeah. she, they come clue, They come through in the clutch. Yes, they do. They always yes, have, they do. though. Yes, they do. Yeah. He sung, she sung, she had already sung a lot of the demo tapes that, you know, had te- to teach Tammy to some of the songs and like, ain't no man. You know, she did a lot of the demos when her and Nick Ashford would do the demos for mm-hmm. Marvin them. So she was a natural choice is what he said. Mm-hmm. But he said he felt guilty singing to Valerie. But he claimed that both hit songs from the album, What You Gave Me and The Onion Song, were done with Valerie. 
That's what Marvin mm. said. Well, at this point, it's all subjective, right? Exactly. Like, who knows? Exactly. But that came from the horse's mouth. Right. So Gay's relationship with Anna continued to crumble. And at the lowest point in the marriage, Marvin got a gun, holed himself up in an apartment, and threatened to kill himself Ooh. or whoever walked through the door. You know, this was the first of many instances where Marvin would have near suicide and near suicides and threatened to destroy himself. His despair was really real. Only music drew him out of this period of depression because he felt so heartbroken over Tammy. And but someone that he wasn't even romantically involved exactly. in. Exactly. Like, how deep she, and amazing is that? collapsed in his arms. Can you imagine? No. And she being so young. Ugh. Plus, he was so despaired over the marriage crumbling down. Right. And I think I read, and I don't think it's in my notes, that it was Barry Gordy's dad, Anna's dad, mm-hmm. that got Marvin to put the gun down that day when he was holed up in that apartment. Wow. He came and was like, put the gun down, Marvin, and he's the one who brought... Marvin out of that I can room. see that though. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you be more willing to, yeah. you know, have a conversation he with somebody like that's Papa in your field? Exactly. Papa Gordy, yeah. yeah. So, you know, gone with those bliss of his Tammy duet, Tammy duets, you know, they were behind him. And uh, the love songs to Anna were long gone at this point. And his voice now only resonated with disappointment and anger, especially in songs like Heard It Through the Grapevine, which he said was happening to him in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but simultaneous to his duet albums with Tammy, he released the solo albums as well. Right. Like one, which is in 68, In the Groove, which contained I Heard It Through the Grapevine. And this was produced by someone else who uh, had a big part of his life, which is the tough-talking and crazy Norm Whitfield. Mm-hmm. Norman Whitfield. Norman Whitfield, one of the most successful producers in music history, was one of the main architects of the Motown sound and of the late 1960s soul subgenre, psychedelic soul. During his 25-year career for Motown, Norman co-wrote and produced numerous Motown hits, such as Ain't Too Proud to Beg, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, Just My Imagination, and War. He produced eight of the Temptations albums between 1969 and 1973. After leaving Motown in 1975, he produced Car Wash, one of the most successful and influential soundtracks of all time. In 2004, four years before his death in 2008, Norman was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame alongside his Motown lyrical collaborator, Barrett Strong. Norman produced a lot of Marvin's hits, and Marvin considered him a nemesis sometimes. And we've talked about Norman because Norman, you know, when I did the interview with Gary Stromberg, Mm -hmm. who uh, created Car Wash, you know, Norman Whitfield was... He was the one that did all the songs on Car Wash. Exactly. He produced <coughs> Rose Royce and all of this. That's Norm Whitfield, but Norm Whitfield was a giant during the Motown days. Right. Um, Norman was known to be a very arrogant man, and Marvin said that they almost came to blows quite a few times. On some songs, he made Marvin sing because he, Marvin said he made him sing much higher than he was used to, mm-hmm. and it caused his throat veins to bulge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yet Whitfield and 
and Marvin made brilliant music together. But one way or the other, Norman brought out another side of Marvin, which is tough-minded, aggressive, and anger in his vocals. Mm-hmm. So in 1970, after Tammy's death, he grew a beard and became a depressed recluse. He mm-hmm. spent days never leaving his bedroom. Finally, his friends convinced him to get out and play basketball. It lifted his spirits and made him feel better, and he had survived a decade marked by a lot of volatile musical changes in his life. Yet the one thing he still yearned, which was to become a ballad singer like... Frank Sinatra Frank and Sin- Cuomo. And Cuomo. 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 Yes, yes, okay, that's exactly right. That's okay. that wine. <laughs> I'm not familiar with this artist, to be honest with you. I didn't even know about it until. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, well, that's what I'm here for. Exactly. That's what I'm here Thank for. you. Pay homage. Mm-hmm. So right before Tammy died, he had Bobby Scott, a jazz pianist, write arrangements. And this is in his quest to be like Frank Sinatra. Uh, to write arrangements on a group of pop songs. However, when he went in to record them, he couldn't pull it off. Mm-hmm. And Marvin's own words, he said it was as though the arrangements were too deep for me, mm-hmm. and maybe I froze up thinking that the ballads would flop like the ballads I'd sung before. And he just later realized that he couldn't sing the songs because he wasn't old enough. He said he had more suffering to do before he could get to the feelings of it all. Right. So 1970, as we just said, was tough for him. He suffered from Tammy's death and the disintegration of his marriage. He suffered a lot. And on top of all that, he was paying attention to what was happening in the country, such as the Kent State Massacre at this time, Woodstock, Vietnam was going on. And in June 1970, a couple of months after Tammy's death, he began producing a concept album in which his brother Frankie, who had been a Vietnam vet, uh, was the main character in this concept album. Mm-hmm. And the Vietnam vet, his brother Frankie, returns back from the war and sees only hatred, suffering, and injustice. And Gay's introspective lyrics discuss themes of drug abuse, poverty, and the Vietnam War. And that concept album was to be called What's Going On. You know we've got to find our way to bring some Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me so you can see And no one had ever created a concept album ever before Right And when Motown, namely Barry Gordy, heard it And Barry Gordy's talked about this as well He didn't want to release it. He said, I hate it. And Marvin said they didn't like it. They didn't understand it. They didn't trust it. And doesn't that kill you? Like every time they don't get understood. Yes. Listen, (laughs) if the powers that be don't understand the full ramifications of what it could be. Right. They think that because of their limited, and I say limited with quotes because they don't believe they're limited, but we do as consumers, Mm -hmm. the limited information that they get or understanding of what the project is. It's almost like, okay, I I think you're a dope artist. I think you could probably kill it, but I don't know how to market you. Yes. Don't worry about it, bruh. 
Don't yes. even worry about it. Put me out. Don't give me a genre. Don't give me a box. Don't give me an understanding. And we think we're coming from this. Let the people respond. And right. in this day and age, it's obviously right. 10,000 times different than what it was in his age. But right. I'm just saying, like, I think it's so sad that people in powers of uh, positions of power like this try to compartmentalize and create a situation where there is none if i'm talented i'm talented that's just what it is why do i have to go through all this ring of a row right you know what i mean to show you that no one had ever thought about doing a concept album from beginning to end with a character it was all about like what motown was used to mm-hmm. three minute stories you know, and they, they didn't know, they didn't have anything to base it off of. Exactly. You know, so for months, they wouldn't even release it. And finally, Marvin said, this is what made him an artist. This is what, this is where he was a trailblazer. Listen here, youngins. Mm-hmm. Marvin said. Exactly. This is what he said. Put it out or I'll never record for you again. You but go. he had the type of back background to say that and the type of backbone because he was married to Barry Gordy's sister. I mean, sister, yeah. Yeah. So he could say that. A lot of artists would say, a lot of record companies, as you know, would say, well, then good, then bye. Right. But he, it was, it was synchronicity or in, whatever exactly. it was that they had to. And guess what? It came out. And with this album, Marvin finally said, he said, I finally learned how to sing. You know, Mm -hmm. he said one night during when he was recording this album, he was listening to Lester Young. And when we talk about Billie Holiday, we'll talk about Lester Young, Mm -hmm. which is a jazz horn player. And he said, I was listening to Lester Young. And he said, it came to me. Relax. Just relax. It's going to be all right. And that's what came through, through these songs on what's going on. Amen. That's what came through. And that, you know, when we come back, we'll talk about, you know, what blew up after that and how big, uh, you know, what's going on was in part two. Mm. Sounds good. I'm here for it. All right. Hello, Rocka Babies. Thank you so much for listening to this wonderful episode. Don't forget to check out our Instagram, Rockabies Pod, and also our website, RockabiesPodcast.com. Thank you again. Bye bye. I died a thousand times. My words are.